0: This is Grant, everybody, and he is going to read the scripture that we're going to look at this morning.
1: Good morning. Um, You may know me from a couple weeks ago when we did baptisms, and I parked you. So, yeah. All right. Today's scripture comes from all over the Old Testament book of Proverbs and the New Testament letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer to the tongue. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even with the wicked for a day of disaster. In the hearts humans plan for their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. The plans of the diligent lead to the prophet, as surely as haste leads to poverty. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he always predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. This is
0: God's word. Thank you, Grant. Um, We, uh, uh, I don't know, are are some of you really good at tests in the room? Some of you are really good test takers and some of you are not very good test takers. Um, I'll tell you what we all know, though, is we all know that when we do take a test, multiple choice is usually a good option for the test, right? Because at least you have a chance with multiple choice. Um, multiple choice tests can be really helpful because sometimes the multiple choice you know, question has you know, three answers that are obviously wrong and one that's obviously right. And you don't even have to know anything about the subject. You can just sort of answer the question right and move on, right? So we like multiple choice tests for that reason. But multiple choice tests can be difficult, too, because have you ever taken a multiple choice test where you look at the four options and A, B, C, and D are all like really good answers to the question? Isn't that annoying? That's the worst, right? I mean, you, every single one of them it just feels like this could be the answer. This could be the answer. Um, and so those are, tend to be uh, some of the hardest. Like in whenever, if you've taken your driver's test recently, like the... You know the not the driving part, but the part where you have to sit and look at the monitor and you know, look at the pictures, and that one's nerve-wracking, right? It just makes you so nervous because some of those answers you have to really study the picture, and some of those answers probably are right. And here's what's difficult with those with those tests: is sometimes you've got a most right answer, and then sometimes you have like a mostly right answer, and then you have like a sometimes right answer. And that's what makes it really, really difficult. And here's the thing about multiple choice tests like that is your life is a little bit like one of those multiple choice tests in the sense that you've got a lot of decisions to make. We all have a lot of decisions to make. You made about 20 decisions or perhaps 50 decisions just this morning before you got here. And there's a lot of decisions to make. Some of them are very small, but some of them are very large. In fact, you know this to be true. This has been your experience. We can make or break our life on the basis of our choices, of our decisions. Some of us have made some horrible decisions. And perhaps you're, you're, you look at your bank account and you see it every month. You're reminded of it. You know, some of us have made some poor decisions when it comes to relationships. And that's, and that's something that you, you're reminded of often. I mean, we've made some decisions that have really been difficult for us to deal with. And uh, and you know you've made some really great decisions too that you're so grateful for. There's big decisions, small decisions. Who should I marry? Should I hire this person? How much is too much screen time for my kids? You know, I mean, you're just constantly just walking through these decisions. And here's the thing: is some of those decisions that you bump up against are right and wrong decisions, meaning. You know, it's a line. You know, you, you come up to it and you're like, you know, what, I know what the right answer is. I know what the wrong answer is. And essentially, those are sometimes the easiest decisions to make because, you know, you just know what the right answer is. But un- unfortunately, most of our decisions that we make in life aren't that black and white. Most of the decisions that you have to make are a little bit like that multiple choice test. There's a couple answers and you're not sure which road to take. You know, and those are the majority of our decisions, and so we need something, we need something to help us make those decisions and what the Bible has to offer us is something the Bible gives us something that we desperately need to make those decisions and whether you believe in the Bible or not or believe in Jesus or not, is what, what I want, hope one of the things I want you to see this morning if you 're here that and, and you're sort of wrestling with those big questions is that the Bible knows something about you that, that you kind of already know yourself. The Bible says that you and I, in order to navigate these decisions that we have, we need wisdom. We need wisdom. Wisdom is the answer. Wisdom is the thing that helps us navigate all these different decisions that we have to make. And so we've been looking through the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, hasn't, haven't gotten to Ecclesiastes yet. We'll get, that, we'll get to that in a few weeks. Uh, but we've been looking mostly through the book of Proverbs because the book of Proverbs is written in a way where all, there's all these different statements and it, and it gives us some really deep insight into wisdom. And remember what we said from the very beginning. The Bible, the Proverbs in the Bible don't function like fortune cookies. It's not just like little statements that you're just supposed to like try to follow. No, no, no. Proverbs gives us wisdom not just to give us some wise statements, but to make us wise, to turn us into wise people to ha- that helps us make decisions. So this morning, I, th- I hope that this morning, we're going to look at, we're gonna look at some, th- some things that are kind of big, kind of heady, kind of, you know, you might leave with more questions than answers this morning. And sometimes that's okay. I work really hard to try to, you know, tie up all the knots. So before we all leave, we feel like, oh, I know what to do now. This might not be that morning for us, okay? Because there's some hard sort of issues that we're going to grapple with. Today, But I hope, I really do hope it's helpful, especially in the area of making decisions. How do you make wise decisions? Uh, Maybe some of you will get a stronger handle this morning on how to do that. Some of you are here this morning and you've got a decision that's weighing on you right now. Do I take the job or do I not? Do we move or or should we stay? I mean, you've got some decisions. You know, what college, you know, what should I major in? I don't know what, what the question is, but you've got a decision that's looming. And you've maybe lost some sleep over it. Um, Maybe the Holy Spirit will speak to you this morning. Maybe you'll get a clearer sense of of the decision you're supposed to make. Or at least what the next step is that you get to make in order to make that decision and make it a wise decision. So I hope that that happens this morning. here's the thing, uh, three things. I want to talk about the struggle, the map, and the promise, okay? The struggle, the map, and the promise. Grant read all sorts of different Proverbs, and then he read, read this passage, this famous passage from Romans chapter 8, um, and, uh, and so here's the three things. First is the struggle with making decisions. Here's the struggle, is when it comes to um, all these different decisions that we have to make, here's, here's the problem, is we make decisions all the time, but also we've heard of this thing called God's plan. Have you heard of, the, you know, this thing called God's plan? In fact, we, we, we say it a lot. You know, God has a plan for your life. You know, Drake knows about God's plan. Um, you know, we, we talk about God's plan, and then we come up with this sort of struggle, okay? And so here's this word. I want, here's the struggle is it's a paradox. You guys know what a paradox is? A paradox is like two things that can't be true at the same time. Have you ever seen one of those cards and you pick it up and it says, the statement on the other side of this card is false? And then you flip it over and it says, the statement on the other side of this card is true. And then you're like, ah, what? I don't know, which one is true? You know, it's, it's, that's a paradox. It's both can't be true at the same time. And that's, that's, that's the paradox. And so here's the paradox we find ourselves in when it comes to making decisions. And I know you've wrestled with this. Is, okay, so I'm supposed to make decisions, but doesn't God already have a plan? Like, I've, if he's supposed to be like in charge of everything, where do my decisions fit in with his plan? Have you thought about that before? Or have you thought about it in this way? This is usually the way where we, we talk about it is when it comes to prayer. You know, have you ever thought, why... Why should I pray for this if God already knows, if he already knows what's going to happen, and if he already knows that I'm going to pray about this or not pray about this already, like then why, why pray? Why do I have to pray about something if he already knows what's going to happen? I can just sort of like sit back in the hammock and just, you know, and just because what he has determined is going to happen. And so, you know, what, you know why? What, where do our decisions fit in? And it's a paradox. And Proverbs tells us, let's, look at these. Look at these Proverbs. First, Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit. As surely as haste leads to poverty. That verse tells us, yeah, if you want to be diligent, make some plans. Make some plans. Your choices matter. Act. Don't sit around. Do something. You know, strategy is important. How you approach your life strategically is important. Um, The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. And then, and then in another place in Proverbs, what we read this morning, it says this. It says, we may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. Wait a minute, I'm supposed to make plans, but yet at the same time, every coin flip, everything comes down exactly how God determines. He controls it all. How do those things work together. Um, it's the big idea of do our choices determine our rea- reality or are our choices already predetermined? It's this big discussion of free will versus determinism. So many movies are about this. I just listed the ones that came to my head initially. The Adjustment Bureau. Do you remember that one? 12 Monkeys, uh, Memento, Minority Report, Looper, Run, Lola, Run, Sliding Doors, Back to the Future. And that's just a tiny little snippet of all these movies And television shows, you know, Twilight Zone, you watch that. So many of those episodes are about this idea. What's the point of making decisions? Do our decisions determine the future or is it already determined? This is sort of this big conundrum that we find ourselves thinking a lot of times. And here's the paradox. Here's the paradox is, first of all, either your choices don't connect with your reality or every choice is determined uh, or every choice is determining your destiny how can those two, two things be happening at the same time? Well, what I want you to see, and we're not going to understand it this morning, I can't explain it, but somehow, both of those things are happening at the same time. Somehow, somehow, God is in control of it all, he determines it all, he's sovereign over it all, and yet, your choices Matter. That somehow God's plans are incorporating your plans, that He's got destinies set, and yet at the same time you're responsible for your decisions. You're not being forced to make them. You can you're free, but yet you're determined at the same time. How does that work? Well listen, I don't know. and you don't know either that's why we're not qualified for this gig right that's why we can't that's why we're not god we can't do this but what i want you to see is that if you believe in one or the other both of those are bad news there's a lion on this side of the path and an alligator on this side of the path if you believe that all of your decisions determine your future or if none of your decisions matter and if it's already set both of those there's danger on both of those and we have to somehow sort of walk our way through the paradox and God helps us with walking through that paradox, I'll tell you in a second. But first, let me just show you, if you believe, and I have notes up here, if you believe that everything is predetermined and fixed, if you believe that everything's already predetermined and fixed, well then, that means means your choices don't really matter. It's going to happen anyways, or no matter what you do. There's some problems with believing this way. You know what it's like? It's uh, this, this sort of view. It's kind of like this. This is what I do with my kids whenever we play Wii. All right? My son, William, um, he, uh, we have this game on the Wii. Uh, it's like it's like Olympics. Or maybe it's maybe it's Wii Resort. And there's this one game where you can run, you can jog. And what you're supposed to do and to play it correctly is you put the controller in your pocket and you just run like an idiot in your house like this, you know, just in front of the TV. And then your little character on the screen just like runs for you, you know, And you just run, and you can run faster, you know, or you can run slower. And see, my six-year-old William has no idea that it works like this, okay? So what he does, so I sit on the couch, and he stands in the front. He's like, hey, can I play that game? I'm like, sure. And so he stands in front, and he starts running, and I just stand in the back and go like this. I'm just like this. And then when he runs faster, I move it faster. And when he runs slower, I move it slower. And he's just on the, and he thinks he's just like controlling the whole thing. I mean, he thinks that's him. And oh, he's doing it. And I'm just sitting in the back, you know? Doo-doo-doo. You're doing great, buddy. Way to go. Is that what God's doing with our life? Is that what's happening? We think we're making decisions, but he's just sort of, you know, he's like, ah, you know, hey, good job, buddy, you know, but hey, don't worry, I got it. If that's the, tr- if that's the truth, there's problems with that. First is this, is we might have a tendency to be, become passive, bored, cold, indifferent. Who cares? Why make choices? Or listen to this one. This one's big. Or we might be tempted to not take responsibility for our decisions. Because if it's God doing it all, then guess what? If anything bad happens, guess who we can blame? God, why did you do that? Why are you doing this? You know, I've told you the story before about this guy that I talked to years and years ago. He got his girlfriend pregnant, and she, you know, and then she has the baby, and he was being a jerk, and so she decided, hey, I'm going to move to Texas and be closer to my family. And so he was talking to me. He's like, Pastor, I don't know what's going wrong. Like, you know, she's going to move to Texas and, and, you know, what's God doing? Why is he doing this to me? Why is God making this happen? And I took that moment as a good pastor should to just, you know, be re- really encouraging. And I said, bro, God's not doing this. You're being an idiot. You're just being a doofus. That's why she's moving away. Don't blame this on God. Right, So if you believe that God's determining everything, it's easy to not take responsibility and to blame God for things. And also, you won't know what to do with evil and suffering. Because when evil and suffering come, when you you encounter hard, hard things, then you're going to believe that God did it all, he sent it, and you will have a tendency to become angry at him and bitter towards him. On the other hand, if you believe that your destiny is completely determined by your choices, then yikes! If if your future, your destiny is completely determined by your choices, wow. First of all, that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. That's what causes so many of us to deal with anxiety and fear and we're replaying things in our mind and like, oh, should I have made that decision? And I don't know because if your whole destiny, your whole future, the whole future of your family, it's all determined by your choices, then that is really, really heavy. That's a lot of weight to bear. There's another thing that might happen too is you might become predisposed to pride and or guilt. Because if things are going well, guess who it's because? Because I made some good decisions. I'm doing good. And if things aren't going well, then oh, guilt, shame, frustration. This is where in India, where Hinduism is very is, is, is the major religion, there's this caste system where there's people who are pushed to the fringes of the society and there's people who are you know in the upper echelon of society and one of the reasons that's the case is because they believe in something called reincarnation if you live a good life and make good decisions then you get rewarded in your next life you become something better and if you don't make good decisions then you come back in the next life as something worse And so if you believe that, see, there's consequences to beliefs. If you believe that, then if you are born into a rich family and, you know, you've got, you know, things are going well for you, then you are going to make the assumption that the reason why things are going well is because I'm awesome. And the reason why that person is on the side of the road begging is because it's their fault. They made some poor choices, they made some bad decisions, and you will easily look down your nose and everyone else who isn't like you. If you believe that all of your decisions and all of your choices are determining all of your future, and then last, the problem with this view too is that um, you also won't know what to do with suffering, because if there's no plan, if there's no, if there's nothing above our existence, if there's if there's no plan or something that's, that's making the 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 pain and the hurt that we experience in our lives, if there's not something sort of above it all and making it matter, then really all we have is just us and there's really no meaning in our suffering at all and there's no redemption and it's super depressing. In fact, both ways are depressing. And so that's why the Bible says that you are free to make your decisions. You are responsible for you, your decisions. You should make decisions. You should act and yet at the same time Every coin flip, every roll of the dice, it comes down exactly how God determines. Again, how do those two things work? I don't know. But he guides us through the paradox. And that's the second point is, first, there's this paradox that we have to wrestle with in making decisions. Your decisions matter. God's in control. But how does he walk us through that? How, does, how, how do we navigate this? Well, this is the map, okay? The map. The um, map. He guides us with two things in particular. He gives us two tools to help guide us through this paradox. He guides us with specific intervention and with general revelation. I'll explain what these are. He guides us with specific intervention and general revelation. Okay. Now, do you guys remember? There is something. There's, do you guys remember these? Yeah, these, this is called a map, all right? In fact, I sent Caitlin to the... Uh, to the uh, you know, the convenience store down the street to get me one of these because I didn't have one in my car anymore and neither did she and we asked around and nobody else seemed to either and she went to the convenience store and the convenience store person was like, a map? What is that, you know? And there's like behind this other display and then they rung it up and there wasn't even like a skew in the in the, in the the computer system for the map anymore because we, we we don't use these that often anymore, right? Because what do we have? We've got... Oh, yeah, we've got these, right? We've got turn-by-turn navigation. So helpful, right? We, we don't need these as much anymore. But what I want you to see is that God guides us with both. He guides us with specific, um, with specific intervention and with general revelation. Let me explain. First, one of the things that we should do when we come up against a decision, if you've got a big decision to make, what should you do? Well, you should pray, and you should ask God to reveal the way. In fact, that just rhymed, and I didn't even plan for that to rhyme. But that was perfect. You should pray, and then ask God to reveal the way. Um, that's so good for us to do. We should do that. And you know what? God will do. Sometimes He will give some some specific instruction. He will. If you're faithful to pray, He will. How does that work? I mean, for, it works for different, for, for all of us, you know, sometimes, for some of you, you really operate like that, like you pray a lot, and you really feel like God sort of gives you specific instructions and direction often. Some of you are like that. Uh, some of you feel that very, very close to your heart, and you feel like when you pray, you feel like, oh, I'm supposed to make this decision and that decision, and I love that. I love that about you. I'm not wired like that, Okay. Um, this might surprise some of you t- for like the pastor to say, but really, I think probably if I look back in my life, I can, p- I can remember maybe four or five times when I prayed and I really felt like God gave real specific instructions, just real specific, hey, I want you to do this, I want you to do that. It's only happened really a handful of times in my life where I prayed. And I pray constantly for, for, for specific, you know, it, revelation, you know, for specific instruction. But a lot of times I don't, I don't hear it. A lot of times I don't get something specific. I and mean, some of us do. And that's you. I love that. You keep doing that. I just, I think that's good for a lot of us to hear because I think sometimes the assumption is, is you look around at other people's lives and you think, man, God must be speaking to them all the time. Why doesn't he do that with me? And I just want you to hear from me that it doesn't happen too often in my life. That God gives me turn by turn instructions on what to do, what next step to take. The way that God guides me, and I would say the way that God guides most of us in our lives, isn't through turn-by-turn navigation necessarily, but you should pray for that. But he guides us with something a little bit more general. He guides us with with general revelation. We're going to call that, for the purposes of this morning, wisdom. He gives us wisdom. He gives us wisdom to make decisions, It's kind of empowering to know that there's a lot of decisions in your life that you should pray, you should pray, but God isn't necessarily going to give you instructions on everything you're supposed to do in your life. That's why he gave us wisdom. He gave us wisdom. He gave us a map. He gave us the scriptures so that we don't have to ask him for everything. My son is eight, and a lot of times at night, at around 8.30 at night, he'll be like, dad, can I stay up past my bedtime? Sometimes I say yes and sometimes I say no, but it's appropriate for him to ask. He doesn't get to make that decision by himself. But imagine my son is 25 and he's calling me at 830 at night and he's like, dad, can I stay up past 830? I'd be like, why are you asking me, weirdo? Like, you don't have to ask me. Get off the phone. You're 25. Why is that? It's because I want to raise him in a way where he is someone who's able to make wise decisions for himself. Therefore, we should ask God for specific intervention. But remember that he also guides us with general revelation. He guides us with wisdom. And he doesn't have to hold our hand through every decision. Why? Because he wants you to become a person who is wise, and makes wise decisions. That's the map. Here's the promise. Here's the promise. And it takes us to this really famous passage in Romans. And I even, I hesitated just to like even open up this box because like so many things, this is four sermons, just this verse right here. But briefly, I got to, it's so important for us to understand, how does God guide us with these, with, uh, with, in this paradox? Here's what it says. This is Romans 8. 28 and 29 has to go with it a lot of times we just read romans eight twenty-eight, and we forget that romans eight twenty-nine is right afterwards and it's such an important verse it says and we know that in all listen to this this is a on first glance this is like whoa this is a crazy promise and what it, but what is it really promising we'll look at that we'll look at this and we know that in all things god works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What does that mean? Well, I am so glad you asked. Here's what I think it means. Here's, here's a couple things that I don't think it means, okay? Sometimes that's more helpful to know. What does this something mean? Well, you can flesh out some things that maybe it, it doesn't mean or what it's not saying. First is this. Think about, well, think about this. First is, this verse seems to tell us that all things happen to people who love God. This is, this is important for you to sort of hold on to. That all things happen to those who love God. It is often sort of um, explicitly preached or just sort of implicitly believed by many Christians that if you are a Christian, you will not get cancer. If you are a Christian, bad things won't happen to you. If you really are faithful, then you won't have to walk through pain and suffering. Okay, sometimes that's preached from the pulpit. But oftentimes, even if you didn't grow up in a church where that was preached, that's something that we sort of of believe. We sort of believe. But this is saying that in all things, all things, that if you love God, that all things... That 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 have the have the potential to happen to you. And just a few verses down, uh, Paul he continues on. He's writing this letter to the Romans, and Paul says this. He says in verse thirty-five, "Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? That kind of sounds like all things, doesn't it? He's covering a lot of bases there. He says, hey." This stuff is going to happen to us. This stuff has happened to me, Paul, Paul would say later on. He says, this stuff happens to me. But does that mean that I'm separated from the love of God? Oh, no. Oh, no. All things. All things happen to people who love God. Which means that God's promise isn't that bad things won't happen. His promise is that no matter what happens for those that love God, he works all things for good. This so leads us to the next one. Here's, what, here's another, here's the second thing. is Paul doesn't say that God causes all things. Now, we could get into a whole other sermon about if God allows something to happen, is that the same thing as him causing something to happen? Oh boy, you know, that's a, that's a big conversation that we're not going to dive into this morning. Um, but this verse is saying something a little bit different. It's not saying that God causes all things. It says that in all things, God works. In all things God works. That's a distinction there that's important. Here's another thing that it doesn't say. Paul doesn't say that all bad things are good. Paul doesn't say that all bad things are good. Christianity is one of these religions where it's okay to call bad things bad, and it's okay to call good things good. And you none of us need to feel pressure to call bad things good. Because bad things are bad. <laughs> and we're one pastor's that I find so much there's a wealth of wisdom in, is the passage where Jesus is standing at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus is standing at the tomb of his buddy Lazarus, and Lazarus is dead. And you know what Jesus does? This is incredible. Think about this. You know what Jesus is doing standing at the tomb of Lazarus before Lazarus is raised from the dead? He's weeping. And the word that's used there is this word that's like, it's a it's not, a, it's not a fake cry. I mean, it's, it's like a guttural cry. He's, he's grieving for his friend. Why would Jesus grieve? Think about it. Jesus knows that in a few minutes he's going to say, Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus is going to come out. Why would Jesus weep, right? You'd think that if Jesus sort of knows, you know, if Jesus knows that he's about to call Lazarus out, you know, on, you know that everyone else is crying and Jesus is going to be like, Watch this. This is going to be amazing. They have no idea what's about to happen. But they're going to figure out that this bad thing is actually a good thing. You know, this bad thing is really a good thing. They just, they're just have to wait a couple more minutes. I'll let them cry for like a minute more. And then, and then I'll call out Lazarus. You think that Jesus would sort of do that, but no, he, he weeps. Why does he weep? Man, he, he knows that the resurrection is going to be good, but he knows that the death is bad. And he weeps. He weeps at the death. It's okay to call bad things bad. What this passage is not telling us to do is whenever you come into something really bad, that you're supposed to say, it's actually good. It's all right, you know. Like just put on, put a fresh like Christian, you know, shiny, happy people holding hands, you know, like spin on it. No. Paul doesn't say that all bad things are good. And then here's the last thing that Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say that God will turn bad circumstances into good circumstances now also what it doesn't say. Um, Here's what this verse means. It means in the long term, taken together, in the ultimate vision, in the ultimate scheme of everything, that God will work all things for good. That when it's all said and done in in his providence, in his wisdom, that all things that happen to us, that in his own way, he is going to work together through our decisions that we are free to make to make them good, okay? Now, I hope that that happens for us next week. And I hope, and, you know, we say this, th- this phrase that when sometimes God closes a door, what does he do? He opens a window, you know, or he opens another door or something. And we have this idea that, hey, if I didn't get into that college that I wanted to get into, it's because next week I'm going to get a letter and it's going to be the, this other college that's you know that was even better, or you know I didn't I didn't marry that person that I wanted to marry, but it's because you know it's and I hope that that happens, and we all have tons of stories of that happening for sure. But that's not what this verse is promising. This verse is promising that God will work all things for good for those that are called according to His purpose. But don't wait for next week, and don't wait for next month, and don't wait for next year, and don't wait for next. Decade, because those because you might not see how God turns all things for good. In in fact, you probably won't. In the big things of life, we probably won't get to see, or we're gonna see very little glimmers of how God does that. But what a beautiful promise this is that your decisions matter. Your decisions matter. And yet God is in control of it all, and He's got a plan, He's not forcing you. But what God will do, His great promise is that he is going to use all of our decisions and in his goodness and in his graciousness to us, he will work them all for good in his own timing and in his own way. So what does that mean? Well, it means, I wrote it up here, whatever happens, rest assured. Rest assured, God is weaving it together for ultimate good, for ultimate good. Um, There's this place in the Old Testament Called, uh, called Dothan. It shows up a couple different times in the Old Testament. Dothan does. And one of the places it shows up is Joseph. Joseph, you remember the story in the Old Testament. There's this guy named Joseph. And Joseph um, is really loved by his dad. And his dad sort of treats him better than all the other sons. That wasn't a wise move, but that's what happened. And Joseph was like really, uh, his brothers really hated him. And so they pretended like he got killed. And they threw him in a well in Dothan. Joseph is in Dothan, and he gets thrown into this empty well, and his brothers are going to kill him, but they end up uh, selling him into slavery with these caravanners that are coming by. You know what Joseph is doing in, the, uh, in that well? He's praying, and he's crying out to God. He says, God, will you rescue me? And do you know what God said? Do you know what, what, John, what Joseph heard? Silence. Nothing. God doesn't deliver him. You know what happens? He gets sold into slavery. Centuries later, centuries later, we're in Dothan again. This time it's Elisha. Elisha's in Dothan. And by now, it's a city. There's a whole bunch of people there. And Elisha's fleeing from this army. These people want to kill Elisha, this prophet of God. And Elisha's in the city, and the city's getting surrounded by this army, this conquering army. And Elisha prays out to God God, would you rescue us? And you know what God does? God sends these fiery chariots to just sort of like show up in the sky. The the army gets blinded. They're like, whoa, you know. And so they can't advance on the city. And they run off with their tail between their legs. God shows up. Here's what I want you to see. Is God was working just as much in Elisha's situation as he was working in Joseph's situation. Because you know what happens in the story of Joseph. God's silent and Joseph cries out and there's nothing and he gets sold into slavery and then he gets falsely accused. And then he gets thrown in prison and then he's promised to get out and then he doesn't get busted out. Finally he gets busted out. And what happens is God doesn't answer Joseph's prayer when he's in the well. But because of that silence, you know, I mean, but through that silence, you know what God is doing? He is working. All things for good. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people get saved. Because Joseph gets put in this position where he has the authority to save. His family gets saved. The nation of Israel gets saved. God is working in both. He's working for good. What is this good? Well, listen. This next verse, Romans 8, 29. It tells us. How does God work all things for good? What kind of good is this that He's working? It says it right here. Go back to that verse. This is Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that on all things God works for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. For, for those God foreknew, He also predestined. Why? What is this good? What did He predestine us for? What, what's this good that He's gonna be sort of working in our lives? Is He gonna make, is He promising to make all of our life situations good? No, no, no. He says this. He says, what's it all for? How am I going to make it good? Is I'm going to conform you into the image of my son. Listen, listen. God's promise is not that he's going to change all of your life circumstances into good life circumstances. That's not the good he promises. I hope it happens. It it will for many of us. But his promise is better than that. His promise is even better than giving you good life, life, life circumstances. His promise is that through whatever life circumstances you find yourself in, He is at work conforming you, transforming you, turning you more and more into the image of His Son. That through any circumstance you walk through, if you love God, if He is King of your life, then you will begin to look more and more like Jesus. You will begin to have more and more wisdom. And no matter what happens to you, no matter what is thrown your way, no matter what that all things is that might happen to you, nakedness, famine, sword, whatever it is, you know what? Your life is not predicated and built on your life circumstances. You know what it is? It's predicated and built on this idea that you are loved that he loves you. He will never leave you. And no matter what happens, he is depositing more and more of himself into you. He's transforming you to become more and more like Jesus. That is good. That's, that's last. That's enduring. That will never leave you. God's love for you is so pervasive, so heavy, so there always, that you can be assured you can rest assured. No matter what happens, no matter if you get that cancer diagnosis, no matter if you know, you've got a, a child who's sort of run off and, and, and wayward and you know, you're just praying and asking, you can, you can just know no matter what is happening in your life that's bringing you turmoil and strife and you're trying to plan out the future and you can't plan it all out. Here's the good news is that God works all things For the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And what's that good? He is transforming you day by day to be somebody who has their life built, not just on their life circumstances, but on this good life that God promises, which is Jesus formed in you. Jesus formed in you. Jesus formed in you. Ray Pritchard, he's a preacher that I appreciate. He says this about this passage, and I really liked it. He He says this, our danger is that we will judge the end by the beginning. Or, to be more exact, that we will judge what we cannot see by what we can see. That is, when tragedy strikes, if we can't see a purpose, we assume there isn't one. But the very opposite is true. Many of the things that make no sense when seen in isolation are in fact working together to produce something good in my life. This is a divine synergy even in the darkest moments. A synergy which produces something positive. And that good that is ultimately produced could not happen any other way. God has predestined you and me to a certain end, and that certain end is that we might be conformed to the image, to the likeness of Jesus Christ. When Paul says that all things work together for good, he is not saying that the tragedies and heartaches of life will always produce a better set of circumstances. Sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. But God is not committed to making you popular and wealthy. He is committed to making you like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever it takes to make you more like Jesus, is good, And then he says this, and I love it, and this is sort of where, where, we'll, where we'll land today. This wonderful truth should settle our anxious thoughts, calm our sweaty palms, and this is my favorite part, ease our abdominal queasiness, and allow us to focus above and beyond the present clouds of the current situation. So, um, here's how we'll land. There's this paradox. You've got decisions to make. Your decisions matter. You get to take responsibility for them. At the same time, God is in the background. He's sovereign over it all, working through it. That means that you should pray for specific intervention, but you should also lean on, on, on general revelation. God's given you wisdom to make some of these decisions. And so what are we supposed to do? How do we make decisions? Um, here's what I want you to do, all right? Two things I want you to do. First is you can relax, All right. I just want everyone to relax. Just breathe. Just breathe. All right. Seriously, breathe. You're not in control. God is. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but you know how you can relax is you can relax because in all things, God is going to use whatever happens to transform us in His great plan over it all. We can relax. We don't have to figure out the future. That's good news. I hope some of us rest a little bit easier tonight because of that. You can relax. And then the next thing you should do is you should act. All right? You, should, you can relax and also you can act. Don't be, don't be uh, paralyzed. Don't be paralyzed by the fact that what decision should I make? I'm not sure. Oh, my gosh, what if I make the wrong decision? Guess what? You're, you might make some wrong decisions. But guess what? God is faithful. He's there. He will never leave you. And so here's this paradox. Paradox is you, sh- you can Relax. Get in a hammock sometimes, right? Just kick your feet up. It's okay. You can relax. And then you should act. You should act. Your decisions matter. Your strategy matters. How do you approach your life matters. It matters. It matters. So here's, my, here's Brooks's patented two-step de- uh, process for making good decisions. Are you ready? Here it is. It's kind of catchy. It's short because I want you to memorize it, okay? It's not complete, but it's, uh, it's, it's helpful. Here it is. Here's the two, two steps. Pray humbly. Proceed boldly. You're not impressed? Oh, I thought that was good. I thought it was a good one. Pray humbly. Pro- no, you're not supposed to clap. No, I don't want that. Come on. Hey, let's say it together. Ready? Ready to go. Pray humbly, proceed boldly. Let's try it again. Pray humbly, proceed boldly. You know what you should do when you got a decision? You should pray. You should pray humbly. God, lead me. Guide me. Show me the way. I hope he speaks to you. If you, if you don't hear something clear, guess what? You're not in the dark. He's given you his word. He's given you wise counsel around you. He's given you friends. He's given you, you the word, the scripture. And so guess what? Don't be paralyzed. You can pray humbly and then what? Proceed boldly. Proceed boldly. God's with you. He's with you. His promise isn't that he's gonna handle all your circumstances. His promise is that he is with you.